you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Well, hi, folks. Chris Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. The Chris Voss Show.com. Welcome to the big show there, folks. Hey, welcome to the big show. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Thanks for tuning in, as always. You guys are the brightest and best audience in the world. Have I ever told you that? Have I ever kissed up enough to you? Uh, you guys are. And don't let anybody ever convince you otherwise. If you meet people and they go, you are not the best audience in the world, uh, you know, just look at them funny and uh ignore them and keep moving so there you go we certainly appreciate you guys coming by uh and the best way to be one of the best audience members of the guests is not only to laugh enjoy the show uh bathe in the brilliance of the show the intelligence because when you bathe and take in the brilliant authors the minds that are on the chris Foss show none of them are which me it's, that's why we have guests they're brilliant um when you bathe that in you become a better person, a richer person, a person of intelligence and uh, all that good stuff. And when you do, you uh, are sexier to the, uh, whoever you want to attract in your life. So there you go. So make yourself sexier or at least intelligent because if you're intelligent, you can navigate life better. Can I sell this any harder? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, a, this is the game we play anyway guys uh welcome to the show we certainly appreciate it as always for the show to your family friends and relatives so you can get more of that bathing sexiness uh youtube.com for just chris boss uh what else is there goodreads.com for just chris boss linkedin.com for just chris boss we're trying to be cool over there on the tiktok and it's not working so go over there and i don't know tell us how not cool we are but at least follow the channel uh, today we have a, another amazing mind author brilliant book that she's written on the show as always we have the most brilliant people we're putting out two to three shows a day people 14 years we're going on and over 1400 podcasts what more do i need to do to entertain you people she's the author of the latest book that came out august 2nd 2021 elaine brown is on the show with us today her new book i'm going to try and say this with a spanish accent carrasco 67 a harrowing tale of an imperialistic pig it might be a biography of me uh did i say that right elaine did i get the uh, spanish lingo there you're very close you're very close okay, give me a correction so i have it right it's, it's carrasco 67 carrasco 67 there yeah. we go uh elaine is with us on the show as you can tell she's there in the background she's gonna be joining us and evidently people are already messaging me they're exciting to hear from her uh elaine is a wife Mother of four and grandmother, she has lived in many different countries, speaks several languages, loves to travel, read, collect antiquities, and presently lives in Texas. She's always been fascinated by people and how their life journey influenced them as a person. That's why we do the show, because I love that, too. I'm always like asking people, like, what made you and what was the journey she went on and what did you learn? And thereby, our audience is smarter from their lives. Uh, she traveled as a child all over the world. She saw sites such as the ruins of Macho Pico in Peru, the Mayans in Mexico. I mispronounced that, didn't I? That's why you're laughing. Machu Picchu. Yeah, I I flunk kindergarten. Uh, she climbed. I flunk the... keeping a straight face on that one too. 
<laughs> I flunked kindergarten. Uh, and my teacher didn't like me. I mean, what teacher does like me anyway? Uh, she's been through the catacombs of a 14th century church in Brazil. Uh, her love of history was introduced to her by her father. And she shares it together with him uh, to this date. Welcome, Michelle Elaine. How are you? Hi, good. Thank you. There, there you go. I'm excited to have you on the show. And already people are uh, are, are tuning in, uh, just uh, giving some love. So that's awesome. We love it. So give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. So it's uh, ElaineBrown.com is my website. You can also, you know, find our the book on Amazon and... Uh, it should be online now on Barnes and Noble, but don't hold me to that. They, uh, it, there's been some issues <laughs> on that one, but we're trying to get it all resolved. So, um. yeah, it's always a fight to deal with some of the off brands of it. You know, oh, yeah. they're like, we want your cover different than the other covers. And you're like, why can't we get all on the same page on this one? Right. It's kind of like those plugs for electricity. You know, you go over to Europe and you're like, can't you just all agree on something? But you know, I mean, the French and their cheese, what are you going to do? Uh, so uh, tell us a little bit about your origin story. What motivated you to want to write this book? And and I believe this is your first, first book as well, isn't it? Yes, it is my first novel. And then, um, which is based on a true story. And um, I'm currently working on my second one. That'll be out in uh, fall of 24 is what it's slated to be. Um Basically, the the story was um, knowing the family and oh. back when. Uh, so uh, it was something that we knew about. It was touched on, but um, it wasn't allowed to be talked about, so to speak. Mm -hmm. It was something that I always wanted to tell the story. And uh, so it took... Uh, years <laughs> Let's put it that way it took years to to get uh peter gray to even talk about it mm. and, um and then it would be little snippets so i would run home and i'd jot down i tried desperately to remember everything he said and then you know another time if i'd be visiting i something i would try and put them up down the road to get a little more information. I'd run home and write it. And I just kept doing that. And uh, finally, after about five years of this, I, you know, I had quite a notebook established and, and I just point blank said, what do I have to do to be able to tell this story? Wow. I, what, what I said, I promise you everything. I won't, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I kind of got shut down again and then I brought it up again and because I was a little stubborn here and um, <laughs> I knew it was a great story. Yeah. yeah. So so set this up for us. This book is historical fiction. Is that what we call it? Um, I, I guess you could say that. But 90% of the book is exactly what happened. Okay, there you go. So, you know, it is, it, it, there, obviously, I wasn't in the room with the terrorists. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I mean, but most I historians aren't in the room. Right. So, you know, once I got Peter on board to allow me to write the story, uh, you're talking about massive amounts of sit down, interview, phone calls, 
and uh, I would let him know, hey, I don't care what time of the night. And trust me, I got a few of those phone calls at 1130 night. Uh, hey, I remembered something and I'm like, okay, I would keep a notebook by my bed and oh, I wow. would sit there and jot down. And, and uh, in fact, there were a couple of things that came up when I was ready to go to press and I was like, oh God, you know? And so, well, not quite press, but you know what I mean? We were yeah. ready to go. And so I, I knew it was important to put in the storyline. So, I had to rework it back in, got that information in. Um, you know, you're trying to keep the timeline all um, as it happened. And so it, it just worked out. But um, he, uh, the, the thing was, I ended up, you know, having to write the book under a pen name. Okay. You know, I'm okay with that. I'll do that. But that was a headache getting every different faction on board because they want your name, not your pen name, you know, when you're oh. trying to set up accounts and. Oh, and, that's right. So, yeah. 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 So yeah. it was, it, it was a challenge. And uh, so. Um, you there know, you go. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Let, let's, uh, let's flush this out some more. Uh, how old are you when you first come across the story? Where are you at? What is the setting to this? Uh, so we can kind of get a contextual feel for the, the, uh, the story came back in the sixties. So um, I, the, uh, I was very close to uh, the children in the, in the, of the family. So that's kind of where that came about. So, um, and what was your next question on that one? I'm just trying to get a paint a picture of like, how old were you? Where was this at? What, what country are you in? What we're what, in Uruguay. In, in Uruguay. Uruguay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, we, uh, got to know the family and, um, very well. And, um, it ended up being one of those things where it's absolutely mind blowing on as you know, you're dealing with your own turmoil with what's going on in the country at the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then not to mention what's going on with the family. And so over the years, you know, um, you know, we, I wanted this story to be told, but, you know, as I got older and really sunk in and was be able to, to really absorb everything and you see the stories that are out there, the stories that you read, you know, I've always been an avid reader. And so, um, uh, you know, that was, it just kept resonating back that th this is something that needs to be told. And then not to mention um, the, you know, Paula Gray, which was his wife. Um, she used to tell me one thing repeatedly all over and over. And that was um, no one will ever know who I am, but I want them to know my story. I want them go. to know what we went through. There you go. So uh, give us a 30,000 foot overview of the book and uh, uh, let's, let's start with that. Okay. So basically Peter Gray had um, 
moved to had come from Brazil and moved to Uruguay and um, to take over um, being a partner and uh, leader of one of the biggest branches um, mm -hmm. in Uruguay. And he worked for a company that was internationally one of the top two accounting firms in the world. Um, he was basically their golden child, so to speak. He was one of the youngest men in their profession that had ever rose, arisen to the level that he had and the, the power that he had at that point. And so he was very respected and um, the, uh, he and his wife were just, I hate using this term, but they truly were the, the power couple of, uh, you know, that their little world, so to speak. Um, they were very well received. Um, they were very well known. Um, they were absolutely a handsome couple. I mean, that's an, un, that is not understated at all. So, um, they just had a natural um, way that people just liked them. He was mm -hmm. very unique for his role. He was extremely respectful um, to employees, um, to women, uh, which is unheard of. A lot of men are just, you know, back in those days where it was very much the, the macho mentality. And so for him to come over and show respect, boy, he had people all over that company just, you know, loving him. So, um, so back to the, the point, he uh, set off to get different clients, important clients. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was working with another company and had invited uh, one of the uh, CEOs over and he came to his office and he noticed a guy that was working for um, Peter. And uh, so he just waited, you know, he, Peter didn't think much of it. And he went back to his office um, and gave him a call and said, I, I want you to come to my office tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I need to talk to you. So he ended up going there the next day thinking they were going to be discussing business and all that. And then that's when it opened up. He goes, how well do you know that man that, that I pointed out to you? And he goes, mm -hmm. well, you know, he's um, had great references. He's been working with us for a while. And, uh, and he, he, that's when he threw the, you know, that bombshell on him and said, he's a Tupamaru. Oh, what is that? And that is the uh, uh, urban gorilla. Oh, wow. Yeah. They were in that, they were, he was full-blown terrorist. They courted them starting in college, most of these guys, mm -hmm. and even women too. And because they wanted intellectual people that could move in to different companies, all factions from the police department, doctors, lawyers, you name it. They wanted somebody in all factions that had that leftist mentality. And um, so... Uh, they would court them. They would infiltrate. They would make money for the cause. They would make their own salary, but then they would also find out all the back ends and 
snoop and then they would start embezzling people ah, so, extorting and stuff like that right ah. so he went back and talked to his company lawyers and uh they advised him now i did it a little different in the book but they advised him to observe him for a while ah. and uh so um that's when um, he, at that time, Peter knew something was up, but he couldn't put his finger on it, but he was getting close. Mm -hmm. And then that was, that was uh, the defining moment was realizing through this conversation with the other gentleman that um, this was what was happening. So he started uh, uh, pulling all the accounts and doing his research and he, he saw that this was going on. And so he, he fired him. Wow. And then that, the nightmare started. Ah, sounds like that scene in casino where the dude fires the, I mean, it's not the same, but the, yeah. the, he fires the nephew of, uh, I don't know, whoever runs the gaming board or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know who my dad is? But yeah. that's a whole different level of, uh, you know, yeah. stuff that goes on in these in these uh, South American countries. I mean, right. There's, you know, kidnappings, murder, uh, extortion, you know, all that sort of crazy stuff. You you mentioned uh, one of the bylines on the uh, Amazon pages. Evil has eyes everywhere. Is someone watching you? I guess I guess he finds that, uh, you know, he's kind of surrounded by these people. Yes. And uh, and they were. They were yeah. everywhere. And that's why the the everyday person there was afraid, even though it was their own country, mm -hmm. because they never knew if they were going to get caught in the crossfires of something. Um, there was, um, you know, originally this started their group, the Tupamaros evolved from wanting to help the underdog. And mm -hmm. so it did start out as a, you know, a liberal group wanting to help your everyday poor person in this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But as they were um, rising to power, for lack of better description, um, they ended up becoming greedier. And then um, as in every faction that you have that where people are a little bit off, you'll have those that have more violent tendencies and it ended up becoming uh, morphing into an extremely violent situation. Um, mm. Now their tactics for kidnapping and things, you know, people wonder, well, you know, why wasn't there a lot of shooting and this and that and the other? Well, they got into the, ho the hobby of bombing things. That was pretty big. Hobby. I would think. Yeah, it, just a little bombing, like a little hobby. alley where kids yeah. were there all the time, yeah. um, those sorts of things. But they uh, they like to they wanted to remain anonymous, oh. so they didn't want to put themselves out. If you're out there shooting and doing all these things, you're bringing a lot of attention. What what they're wanting to do is continue working undercover, so to speak, and, you know, stealing and uh, from various things and also making money off of ransoms. So mm. if you're letting yourself, you know, be known, you're not going to be able to do these tactics, you know, in, in, a, 
Yeah. So they they tried to go undercover, so to speak, um, all the time on on everything. So with this family, it immediately became that mental torture. And uh, that was one of the things they did. They wanted to, they tried to break people down. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of things that went behind the scenes for different factions were scare tactics Mm -hmm. and they would break people down. They would get them exhausted, not allowing them to sleep at night, trying to mess with them, get them so scared that they would end up just caving and giving people what they wanted or, you know, uh, that or giving up on whatever stance they had, you know. There you go. Well, what do you feel was really drawn, drawn, drew you to the story? Uh, and, and what do you feel makes it so compelling for readers? The compelling thing is, is, you know, we, you know, everybody sees those dramatic movies where it's, you know, a little bit incredulous on a lot of things, but then other points can be very, but we're, we're very complacent in our day-to-day lives here in the U.S. We don't see those, you know, things going on around you. And yet things like this really happened and it happens in a lot of countries. And um, these stories don't get out Mm -hmm. primarily because people are afraid Mm -hmm. and uh, they're afraid for their family members. They don't want so they choose to keep these, you know, stories quiet. In this family, they um, uh, they had one person that helped them out tremendously, and he was he's probably besides the dog, um, the only real name in the book that I put was Dan Mitrioni, mm-hmm. and um, God, that guy had a incredible gra- background. He um, Immigrated from Italy to the U.S. Um, he had he did everything. He was a police officer. He was in CIA. He was in uh, the FBI. That sort of thing. Wow. That's kind of what got him overseas in the Latin American countries because of all the, you know, without getting you know heavy into uh, too much boring data here. He. Uh, there, there was a lot starting in Cuba. Everybody kind of knows what was going on in Cuba, going on in Bolivia, all the unrest and all that sort of thing. So there was a lot of guerrilla tactics uh, that needed to be suppressed. And hence, here comes Dan Mitrioni. Um, he was down there in South America to teach counterinsurgency techniques to the police. And, um, and in a straightforward message was torture techniques for interrogation was actually what he did. And so um, it wasn't a pretty thing, but at the time it was necessary. And, uh, and the Tupamaros were, um, they had it down to a system where um, only the, the head person knew who the head person of the next level and there was usually they they had cells is what they called them and there was like seven people per cell and there were usually two people running that um group of seven so those two didn't know who each other were but the head guy did so that way if they were caught it 
it stopped there. They oh, couldn't wow. find yeah. out who the next. So the seven that were in that cell didn't know who each other were. Mm-hmm. So it, it was very uh, clever um, how they were able to pull off all of this. Um, it, you know, it, so it was, it was one of those things where you, when you get in a mindset of terroristic people, you're dealing with a whole breed that, that your normal everyday person doesn't know how to deal with. And um, so this family just was in a middle of a crapshoot. I hate saying that, but that's probably the, the best way to say it. They, you know, they weren't prepared for what was ahead of them. And so Dan Mitrioni came into the faction and uh, spoke at some men's uh, event for international businessmen. And so uh, Peter Gray ended up reaching out to him and saying, hey, this is what's going on. And their relationship grew. um, And uh, Dan took personal, um, a personal role in helping this family out. There you go. There you go. So it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting story. I mean, uh, I remember, uh, I had one gal who worked for me and her father had been one of the ambassadors to, um, one of the Southern America, South American countries and the stories that she would tell me that would go on there with the leftist gangs and stuff and leftist terrorists, leftist, uh, gorillas, um, were extraordinary. I mean, one time, yeah. one time the secret service whisked them away from a mall. And as they were driving away, things started blowing up behind them. Wow. Um, they would tell me about how the elite people or the rich or the government people who run the government, you know, they have to, they have special, uh, schools that have like ultra security to them and, and other things. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy what goes on there. And then security wise and yeah, I mean, things can go downhill and the stuff's all around you. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a tight adventure. It, you know, this is what, what, what brought, what drew you to the story? What, what first piqued your interest in it? What made you go? I really want to talk about this. Well, what peaked was flat out the insane events that, that they were going through. I mm-hmm. mean, I mean, he, you know, like back to Dan, um, he's the one that said, Hey, you need to carry a gun on you. And so he hooked them up with a, with a gun. And then he started showing them, um, how to carry himself, how to look, how to look out for anything. Um, so those sorts of things, as much, I, I'm a big fan of action films and all that stuff. So I love all that sort of thing. And, um, so he was, um, he had been in the Brazilian army, so he knew his way around guns, but, um, you know, he, that wasn't his everyday life. You know, he, he was a, a businessman. So, um, Dan ended up hooking up, up with stuff. And then he realized you need more, you need it in all corners of your house. So that way you can get to them. So, over time, he gave them more, and then he got the police involved, and um, and then uh, the family got um, what it was the Tupamaros death sentence. Wow! And, uh, he uh, they let them know that before he got home, 
all his family would be dead. And so um, when that happened, um, in fact, if you read the opening of the, of the story, mm -hmm. it was the culminating scene of them, uh, him reaching out to his wife because there wasn't time to get anyone to help or anything. He had to get his wife out of the house, get his children from the school and he was too far away. So she was the closest one. And so that's kind of where it all went down. And then between Dan and the police, they, they got the police involved Mm -hmm. And over time, it got so bad that then the Uruguayan military had to take over the protection of the family. So you've got guards in the house, surrounding the house, on your roof. Everybody wow. ended up having, first it was just Peter that had a bodyguard, but then they ended up giving bodyguards to every family member. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just kept escalating, you know, um, with all the things and the kidnapping start, the attempts started. Oh, wow. So you're dealing where he was on full-blown foot chases where he's running and darting through traffic, mm -hmm. you know, doing like you do in the movies where you, you know, one time he kind of half rolled over the hood of a car because he was trying to get away. Um, so it, it, it was, uh, it, this story was just absolutely um, entrancing. And the more he opened up and told me things that I only knew a very little part of it, mm -hmm. but I knew it was interesting and it always stayed with me. But speaking with Peter and, what I call the interviews and talking. And when he opened up and told us what really he experienced and went on, it, it was absolutely mind blowing. And, uh, um, it was, uh, one of those things where he ends up, um, being told in the end, um, that, he, once they got out of Uruguay, never to speak of it again to anyone, not even amongst each other. Mm -hmm. Because at that time, the Tupamaros did. If someone got away, it, it was, there was an arrogancy to uh, all of this. They, they were going to keep looking for you mm -hmm. um, to get back at you. So it was such a fear that, like, at this point in today's time, I'm thinking all the key parties are either dead or in their nineties as Peter Gray is. So I'm th thinking that the, the turmoil, the, the fear tactics, perhaps by now before the grudge would be passed down to the next generation. Mm -hmm. But at this point, I don't believe the that's going to happen anymore. So there you go on the cover. There's an airplane. Right. Uh, is there, do you want to tease out any insight to that? We want people to buy the book, of course, to be able to read it and right. what really happens, but any tease out you want to do to that? And the, the tease out was, um, basically it's how they escaped and ah. they escaped in the middle of the night. Um, 
they had a convoy that took them out. Um, yeah, it, I'm telling you, I mean, they had the streets lined with military watching and, uh, they had it all pre-set up before they removed them from the house. Um, and, um, they actually pushed the cars out way out into the main road before they started the motors, just in case someone in the neighborhood was, um, a squeal or wow. a squealer or whatever. They truly didn't. That's how um, crazy the, you, that's how the people were so afraid at the, during those times because you didn't know your most innocent neighbor could be a Tupamaro. Yeah. Even, and, the, even the military guys could be, you know, traitors. Yeah. Even wow. a maid in the house wow. could be. Huh. So, um, that's pretty much how I live my life. I, I, I have someone who drinks my coffee for me in the morning to test it and stuff. <laughs> so there you go. But it's, it's pretty much just my nine X Y is trying to kill me usually, but I mean, they, I probably deserve it. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> there's seven, eight or nine. It, we just change it from the callback joke. Um, so anything more you want to tease out on the uh, show, Elaine, uh, to get people to go pick up the book. Yeah. Um, Basically, it it is a a fast paced read, and and I've had many people assert to that, you know, because it it's just it's fluid. It's going. Um, I didn't want something that was choppy. There were many storylines that I wasn't allowed to put in, but um, because that's how afraid. Peter Gray was even to this point because he's thinking, you know, I don't want something to happen to my grandkids or, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. But um, it is interesting. There's a lot of detail. Um, I like to write so that when people read, um, I've always been an avid writer. And so when I write things, I like it to where people picture themselves that they can really picture themselves being in there. There you go. And uh, so and then the one thing I, I was going, I had mentioned to you before we went on air, um, what I was going to say, because I just got permission yesterday. Oh, wow. This was my family. Wow. All right. This is a family tale. First mm -hmm. person. Wow. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. So this is why it took a lot of negotiating and oh, trying yeah. to tell this tale then. Wow. I was not allowed to this even makes bring total up the sense subject. Now. Yeah. I was not allowed to bring up the subject at all. And it wow. was in very curt answers until I was like in high school. Wow. We were not allowed. It was, I mean, in fact, I, I, I got in some severe trouble right after we arrived in the U S um, after we escaped. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, it was because I brought up the subject because it still bothered me and we hadn't talked about it. Oh. We hadn't been able to talk about it. So I brought it up wanting to know why, why did they hate us? Why did whatever? And my dad never ever raised his voice to me or yelled at me my entire existence. But that was the one time he, because I wasn't letting it go because I was curious and, um, and, he snapped at me and he said, we do not speak about it. Hmm. And um, 
he wanted to make sure that I didn't go to school because he had been warned by Dan that they know where we have family in Dallas. Mm -hmm. And of course we came and we stayed with family. And so um, they, uh, they, he didn't want, uh, you know, in case they infiltrated where it to anybody's surroundings, um, we didn't want to slip or say anything wrong, but, um, Amazing, uh, harrowing story. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the escape? How old were you when that happened? When you yeah, I was um, turning seven at the time, mm-hmm. and I've got one of these weird identic type memories. I remember things back to when I was one, mm-hmm. which is really weird, and maybe that's what plays a part in me being so fascinated by people and details and things, because there was very little that I didn't remember in detail, except for what my father experienced yeah. or, you know, what happened when I was at school, mm-hmm. that was where I really had to delve in. I, um, and I, I was relentless because I knew this story was incredible. Um, yeah. story and of your family too. Your right. Yeah. And my, my mother, sadly, passed away um last year but the biggest joy for me was she was the number one person that wanted our book written Mm -hmm. and she knew i was a writer and uh and so one day out of the blue i said i'm gonna write our story and Mm -hmm. uh, and i said and i'm gonna hold on to it until he allows me to publish it so i started and that's where I started writing all the notes down and I would, you know, bug them and, and I would get, so I was, I was working on it. So it, from the time I told her that until mm-hmm. the time it was published, it was 10 years. Oh, wow. So it was, um, more effort was, and that's why this story is so tight. And that's what I've been told by so many people that have read it is that, um, they're they're amazed at the at the intensity in there that you can feel the intensity in the story but it was that intense i mean Mm -hmm. um they almost kidnapped me at one point myself so it um uh it, it you know and sadly dan was murdered um a few months after we left and yeah so he was caught so. There you go. Uh, so extraordinary story. You know, I imagine growing up, one of the reasons this was prevalent in your mind, correct me if I'm wrong, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're feeling the tension in your family. You don't maybe understand fully what's going on. You don't, you know, you don't, you know, you don't have the bigger picture. And of course you're yeah. a child, but you can feel the tension. You can feel oh, yeah. there's something going on. You're just like, why is everybody kind of on pins and needles or wound up? And, uh, and that's probably why it made a real difference in you. And yeah. of course, um, probably a lot of that emotion and tension translated into the story to kind of create this historical thriller right. uh, of your family. So quite extraordinary. Anything more uh, final thoughts you want to. Uh, well, it's not normal for a kid to look out the window and watch them checking uh, the, um, the guards, checking for bombs under your dad's car yeah. um, to start your day, those sorts of things to watch your dad packing his gun to, mm-hmm you know, all those things that just totally blow away your innocence and your sense of security. Mm -hmm. And uh, so um, 
there's a lot um, to be had with the story. I hope everyone enjoys it. It was a labor of love. Um, and uh, I've, you know, I'm hoping something will come of it one day. I would like to see it on the screen. I, that, uh, my mother wanted that, you know, and if I have it on one producer's desk, but you know, it, they, I'm one of many. So yeah. it, it can be there for a long time. You never know, but yeah. uh, maybe one day. There so, you go. Maybe one day I would, you know, these movies always make for fun. Uh, yeah. People love watching, you know, these sort of things, tension, thrillers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Elaine, uh, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. It's ElaineBrown.com. And um, so that's my pen name. And <laughs> so uh, this book will be interlaced with that for a long time. Um, but uh Elaine, you know, is my middle name and, and Brown was, uh, a, a misspell on my maiden name. So oh, that, you. that was kind of where that came. I wanted it to be still a part of me. So, um, that was where that came from. So, um, but, uh, my dad is in the nineties. He's doing great. He's still, active. Um, sadly, you know, he's sad because he lost the love of his life, but um, he's very proud of this book. He's still very leery about me going live saying um, who I am, but uh, hopefully no hard feelings. <laughs> no hard feelings. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Lane, for coming on the show. Right, I really appreciate you. it. Thanks to our audience for tuning in. Be sure to order up her book, uh, give me give me the title one more time. So the, it's it Carrasco, Carrasco 67, A Harrowing Tale of an Imperialist Pig. And there you'll you find go. out what the meaning behind the imperialist pig is when you read the book. It'll make sense. So There you go. There you go. Sort of, well, folks, wherever fine books are sold, uh, go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, linkedin.com, Fortress Chris Foss. Subscribe to the big newsletter over there, the 103,000 group over there. Uh, see us on TikTok. We're trying to be cool over there. Uh, it's slowly working. We're cutting up bits of the show and sending it over there uh, slowly. So, uh, I don't know, enjoy whatever the hell goes on over there. I think we're giving away a copy of my book over there, so you might want to check that as well. Uh, an autograph copy. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. We'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out.